Yeah, Leslie and I would like to thank you for the privilege of being your supportive missionaries at East Ridge. Um, Thank you for your love, prayers, encouragement, support, and partnership in advancing God's kingdom in Chile and abroad. Um, We are doing leadership training there, and uh, we just thank you for the, the time that we've known you and you've been involved in and, and encouraging us and strengthening us through ministry. We came back here uh, um, after having found out that Chile loosened the, their, mess, uh, their their requirements to leave the country. It's been pretty much of a difficult time going in and going out with all the changes. Uh, we we're going to have our graduation on G- December 4th for our second group of Graduates, uh, we had a graduation in October, at the end of October for our graduates in Santiago and Concepcion, in Concepcion. And we're getting ready to go to, um, to Valdivia and they changed the requirements and we couldn't have more than like 20 some people in a building and we couldn't have it outside. So, uh, we decided with the restrictions being loosened, we ended up uh, making plans to come back, and we wanted to see our grandbabies. And so we have one in uh, Endicott. How many people know where Endicott, Washington is? Yeah. And just a couple. It's a pretty little uh, town. Uh, I call it the Kingdom of Endicott because it's just the beautiful rolling hills for about 50 square miles. Uh, the, it's the, like the Microsoft screensaver with the green rolling hills and the blue skies and puffy clouds, and that's where they live in a town of 300. So uh, my wife and, I mean, my daughter and her husband live there, and Jack's about a year and nine months, so we're just having a fun time enjoying him and, and the family. And then our other daughter has a grandbaby down in uh, in Dallas with her husband, and we're enjoying time before that. Well, um we're thankful we're, we're here visiting other churches, and today we're going to be talking about a passage that's um, quite important in the spiritual life. It doesn't; It's not mentioned as many times as other issues that we might face, um, sin or things opposite of sin and uh, godly character. But um, And Pastor John had talked about this text about a year ago, but I feel like repetition is something that's very important to the Christian faith, and I believe... This can be an encouragement and uh, something to evaluate in our own Christian lives. Where where do we stand with the issue of contentment in the Christian life? And before we get going, let's pray. Holy Father, uh, we are so blessed um, by your grace, your love, and your mercy towards us, by the gospel and what you've done in our lives, how you brought us together in, in this congregation of Eastridge and how the gospel is going out and we are building uh, spiritual-minded uh, people to grow and pass on generations to generations. I pray for today for our message that we, you might help us understand more what, pa, what Paul was saying, what Paul was teaching to the believers in Philippi concerning this important issue of Christian contentment and how we should understand it, how we might rightly apply it in our lives so that you would be glorified and exalted. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. If we were to look at define contentment, contentment is described in various manners uh, grammatically as an adjective. 
contentment can be described as satisfied with what is one or what one is or has, not wanting anything else, anything more. As a verb, it's to make content. If you're making it, uh, these things content me. Uh, as a noun, we could say it's a state of state or feeling of being content, satisfaction or contentment. On the other side of the spectrum, opposite of content or being contentment is being discontent or discontentment. It's being dissatisfied or there's a lack of contentment, a dissatisfaction with your circumstances. In the verb form, it's to make discontent, dissatisfied, or displeased with your circumstances. In one way to say it, discontentment can be measured by the distance between your current situation or circumstances with what you want your situation or circumstances to be. What changes need to be made in order to make your discontentment content. Discontentment is a gnawing sin on your heart. It eats away at your heart. It eats away at your joy. It impedes your obedience to the Lord. It impedes your service to the Lord. It it affects others around you. Discontentment affects your relationship with the Lord in your walk. It fails to recognize the sovereignty of God in your life and your current matters of your life. And it fails to recognize the providence of God in your life with His goodness, His love, mercy, and grace. A discontent discontent heart is not a happy heart or it's not satisfied with God's provision. A discontent heart is not a thankful heart and it lacks gratitude. And a discontented heart and discontented attitude undealt with over time can damage or destroy relationships, manifest anger and envy, build and feed resentment in the heart attitudes towards others, It can produce a complaining or murmuring spirit and more. The sin of discontentment undealt also can destroy or rob you of healthy human relationships. That in your marriage, with your husband or with your spouse, with your children, with other family members, with your work relationships, neighbors, and importantly, in the church. It can it can impact it can rob you uh, as it relates to contentment and having your health or your medical issues. You can be discontent with those, a loss of a loved one, financial loss, or other struggles. And all these things have been sovereignly ordained by the Lord in your lives that you might grow and understand what contentment is and how to apply it in your life. And a genuine Christian has the can and has the ability to change his discontentment to a content heart. And we want to do that to glorify him. Also, um, it can also utilize uh, the, the recognizing the sufficiency of Scripture. Scripture and counseling can help a, a person with a discontentment and work in, the, in one's own life or between two other people. So you don't just have to say, oh, I'm content with my circumstances. We do have the scriptures that are able to um, make us wise and how we should change and how we might be able to confront these issues in a way, in a loving way. 
Paul knew of the importance of contentment in the spiritual lives of the Philippian believers in order that they may progress in the faith, faith and that the gospel would advance. And today we're going to see how Paul taught this in the epistle of Philippians. And we can see in this text, in, in, this, in, in Philippians, the main theme of Philippians is joy and unity in the faith. But tethered together with joy and unity in the faith, we have the progress in the faith, progress in the faith of the, of the believers. And in addition to God, the gospel, there's suffering that's included with that. They're all tethered together. And he's trying to form the understanding in the mind of these Philippian believers because the advancement of the gospel is impaired if people cannot understand what contentment and how, what, how God is uh, sovereignly working in their lives. I just quickly want to cover a couple verses here where how we can see this joy and unity and the gospel and the progress of the gospel and the progress of their faith are manifested in Philippians. So we're just going to bounce around to a couple of verses. We can see in Philippians 1, 3 through 7, where he starts out after the greeting, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of complete, uh, until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have, I have you in my heart since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. So he's making it known of his suffering, his current conditions. He's suffering with joy, and he's trying to include them in this advancement of the gospel uh, through the Philippian believers. In, in two, uh, chapter 2, verse 17 18, but I, even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering... Uh, Upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and my uh, share and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. In uh, Philippians one twenty-five, uh, I have to cut, cut a little short because our time is uh, a little condensed today. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. And in encouraging them, in verse, uh, bouncing back to chapter 1, verse 12, he he says, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, and jumping down to 14, and that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. In verse uh, 129 and 30, he says, for, for to you it has been granted, for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his name, uh, for, his, for his sake, experience the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. So we, hear, so we see this repetition of the gospel, gospel and suffering tethered together with unity and joy. Here are some other verses. Um, in verse 127, 
I only, only conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. In two, chapter 2, verse 2. And make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, in intent on one purpose. So we can see it tying together the joy and the unity with suffering and the progress of the gospel, but more even so in the personal lives, their progress of their faith. And if they don't understand contentment, it's going to impair their ability to be used at their service to the Lord in their walk with the Lord. After having built this understanding, he jumps to, and jumping over to chapter 5, he starts talking about different areas of their Christian life that are important, are foundational as well. Um, in chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, an attitude of rejoicing again, the attitude of joy, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, I will say, or, or again I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men, the Lord is near. And then he continues, right praying, right thinking, and right behavior, or you can say biblical prayer, biblical thinking, and biblical um, behavior, are all foundational to helping them progress in the faith. In 4.6, he says, 6 and 7, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And the key is, with thanksgiving, we are to raise up our and be made known our prayers and supplications to the Lord. In Philippians 4.8, he says how you should think. Finally, brethren, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's good repute, and if there's any excellence, and if anything worth pra- worthy of praise, dwell a present imperative active. It's, a, it's your continual behavior. Dwell on these things. You need to be dwelling on the things that are godly and right and pure and honorable not on other things that don't honor the Lord. In four nine, in Paul's this open book, the things you've heard you've the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Again we've got a present imperative active verb that means this is your continual it's continual durative, it's your habitual practice. Practice what you've what you've been taught. So you got right praying, right thinking, and right act, right biblical behavior. And, he, and moving on to our text in ten, uh, Philippians uh, four ten. But I greatly, re- but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at least you have revived your concern for me. Indeed. You were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want or I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along and humble me with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity 
In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We're going to see today that all genuine believers must learn Christian contentment so that they will progress in the faith and participate in the advancement of the gospel. So that all will progress in the faith in their faith and participate in the advancement of the gospel. We're going to see three points in these four verses. In verse 10, we're going to see contentment through joy in the Lord's provision. We're going to see how what is the state and experience of contentment in the Lord's provision in verses 11 and 12. And then in verse 13, we're going to see spiritual strength by the Lord. In verse 10, uh, joy, through joy in the Lord's provision, I greatly rejoice now that uh, that at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Uh, The beginning clause here, but I rejoiced greatly. You could say, uh, I was rejoiced greatly. It's a superlative. Paul was rejoiced by their their participation and their concern for him. Uh, just to have a little background, uh, Paul uh, uh, started the Philippian church he, during his second missionary trip during uh, 40, between the years forty nine to fifty two. We can see that in Acts seventeen one through thirteen, he founded the church for his ministry there, and then uh, the Philippians supported him as he went to uh, Macedonia and Thessalonica. Then again in 17, chapter 17, 14, and 18, when Paul traveled to Achaia, Athens, and Corinth, the Philippians supported him again. Now, ten years later, in 61 and 62, Paul's imprisoned, and he wrote this epistle to the Philippian church. So he was greatly rejoiced and this is a passive idea. It's not, I rejoice, although that's what the text says. Um, um, but I, I rejoice, that sounds like it's an active an active verb, but it, I was greatly rejoiced. He was greatly rejoiced by the provision of the Lord through the Philippian believers. And Leslie and I can relate to that, being missionaries, and, for example, your support in, in, in uh, partnering with us uh, with whatever we receive um, from you, from your church or other churches, we are rejoicing greatly for seeing the fruit that is produced from your participation with us in the gospel, in advancing God's kingdom, kingdom, in training up leaders who can edify, just as your pastor edifies um, the congregation here, and you are growing in the Christian faith. We are training up men who are training others in their uh, training others and training in, in spiritual growth. So we are greatly rejoiced when we see other churches and other individuals who are uh, helping us in advancing the kingdom with projects, with biblical counseling, with software, with books, um, with other programs. It's a form of sacrificial giving and sacrificial offerings. And it's all part of God's spiritual economy as God's provision uh, and Him working through you. And um, 
Paul's view of that was not that he was enriched, but in verse 417, he says, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek the profit which increases to your account. So there's joy on both sides. Um, I was teaching on a giving uh, in our church and some other churches in Chile, and there's a saying, they've got a whole bunch of sayings, just like we have a whole bunch of sayings, marismos, and um, one is called mano de wawa, that's when a baby has a tight clenched fist. And in 2 Corinthians 9, when it's talking about giving, he's praying that if you if you sow generously, you'll reap generously, you'll be blessed generously. If you're blessing generously, you'll reap generously. And unfortunately, a lot of Chileans with the previous missionaries that went, they weren't, they didn't know how to support their pastors after the missionaries left, and they didn't know how to give. But unfortunately, there's brothers and sisters in the church. You have to question yourself: Where are you at? And do you are you roping? Are, are you reaping? Generously, or are you reaping spiritually so that you can rejoice and as these missionaries or the leaders in the church can be rejoiced by the generosity that gives them ability to use those funds to help bless others. So I want to encourage you to evaluate that. Our second point here we can see in verse 11 and 12 is... We learn this mystery of contentment through contentment, as Paul is describing it in verses 11 and 12. In verse 11, we'll see the state of Christian contentment. In verse 12, we'll see the experiences that formed Christian contentment in the life of Paul. And if we were to literally translate verse 11, and I'm going to add a a couple phrases here to kind of clarify the idea here. He's saying, not that I speak because of necessity or deficiency of something or shortage, because I, and I is emphatic here, Paul is putting emphasis on himself, I learned to be happy or satisfied or content in whatever I am or in any circumstances or situation. The idea of contentment is to have enough. In 1 Timothy 6, 6, um, contentment is used as a, as a noun here, uh, but godly, godliness actually is a means of great contentment, or is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Paul wants to emphasize with himself, I, that he can be an example to them in their understanding of Christian contentment. In whatever my situation, whatever state that I'm in, I can be content. I'm totally satisfied. I'm eased of mind of anything that I might not have. I'm not discontent. I'm content with whatever my circumstances. I'm happy. I have this peace of mind. In verse 12, we have the verses, uh, the experience that forms Christian contentment. I want you to capture the range of this uh, matter that Paul talks about contentment. And Paul describes um, in other verses of Scripture, in Colossians 1.15, he covers this big amplitude of who Jesus Christ is. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For him, 
For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in in him all things hold together. And also then we get to the love of Christ in Ephesians 4, chapter 3, when he's talking about in verse 18, and and that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height and the depth, and to the, to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. You see this broad spectrum of how he describes certain things. Well, we're going to see in this verse here how he gives this broad spectrum of how God formed contentment in his life. Paul's an open book for everybody to read. And in verse 12 he says, I know how to get along in humble mean, with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going, hung, or, and going hungry, both having abundance and suffering need. In that first phrase, I know how to get along with humble means. The actual literal translation, what we have here is, in, in the Greek, teaching the students um, Greek, uh, oida, there's two forms of know in, in the Greek language. Uh, to know intellectually and to know personally. Here he's using the intellectual word oida, and it's a perfect active uh, verb where he's pointing back to a time in the past when this action started. I have learned... This this action continues to the present and with the ongoing action. That's the action of a perfect tense verb in the Greek. And it's active. So he's thinking and contemplating and reflecting on different things here. The first one is humble. Uh, the, the text says how to get along with humble means. Well, the little, literal translation, I have known... To be humbled. That's a literal translation. I have known over time to be humbled. That's not a really good feeling, is it? You like being humbled? Humble is part of our formation. Um, our Lord demonstrated that. Paul talked about humility, his Christ's humility in chapter 2. Paul's an open book. The idea... He's been, I have known to be humiliated. And the meaning in a a passive voice is, these external circumstances were placed on Paul to humble him. These circumstances made him small. They humiliated him. They weakened him. They oppressed him or his spirit was broken. In a precious book by Jeremiah Burroughs called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, if anybody's read that, it is deep and profound. And um, in one area of his book, he talks about contentment usually comes through reduction or decrease or subtraction. Think about Paul. In chapter 3 of Philippians, he's talking about all of his credentials. They don't mean anything anymore. God has humbled him to a point where he realizes that it's all Christ. And Jeremiah Burroughs is describing this reduction. 
Paul is humbled, Paul is humbled, Paul is humbled, Paul is humbled, Paul is humbled. And when did this point start with knowing, I know, I have known to be humbled? When did it start? What is that starting point in the Greek that it it started? Well, we can look at Acts 9, 15 and 16, um, when Paul was chosen for as his instrument, go for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name, uh, to, be, uh, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. You know, um, sometimes people don't like to be humbled or will not, they don't understand humility. What it means to be under authority. Uh, God has placed authorities all over, uh, all throughout our lives in the law, schools, parents in the home, in seminary. We've had, in churches, we have authorities. Um, and unfortunately, this past year, we've had difficulties with um, a student that just has never submitted under authority. And we had to discipline him out of, out of the seminary. We had somebody else that was in our church that we had to discipline. And the problem with these two individuals, they had the same character flaw. They were self-taught individuals. They, they were priding themselves in what they knew, and they were their, the authorities, and they didn't recognize the authorities that Scripture gives in, in, uh, in the church and what, this, what it describes how everybody ought to submit to uh, Scripture, uh, submit to authorities as revealed in Scripture. Listen to what Paul says here uh, in 2 Corinthians 6. 3 through 13 about how he's been humbled. Giving no cause for offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited, but in everything commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, by glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers yet and yet true, and unknown yet well known, as dying yet behold, we live as punished yet not put to death, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing all things. Our mouths have spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our hearts are wide open. O, uh, you are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. Now, in a like exchange, I speak as, as to children, open wide to us also. And if that wasn't enough, in his defense of his apostleship to the Corinthians, he goes on and Chapter 11, saying, In far more labors and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from uh, from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers from among false brethren. I mean, is there enough humility <laughs> being being um, put down upon him? Um, in the ministry, you're going to suffer if you want to be faithful. You're going to experience difficult times. Um, we've experienced it, and 
sometimes you're looking for compassion from your spouse and your wife just really loves, really wants to be biblical. So she, um, while we're looking for compassion, she'll just say, well, honey, you haven't suffered to the point of our Lord Jesus Christ or, um, or the Apostle Paul. I said, oh, thanks, that encourages me a lot. You know? <laughs> but, um, but ministry is difficult. He's teaching how he learned contentment in being made humble. In verse, uh, chapter, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 7 through 10, he says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast in, about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. We'll see that in a minute. Therefore, I am well content. Capture that? I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses. Capture that. I'm content with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Proverbs 25, 4 says, Take away the dross from the silver, and there comes out a vessel for the smith. And Paul, being apostle to the Gentiles, he says, I'm the chief of sinners. He was made small. He was humiliated. And God needs to break a person to rid him of the arrogance and pride and sinful attitudes to make him humble, a humble servant. Now, the second part of this is he also had learned with this oida, I also have learned prosperity, to live in prosperity. And we'll see more about prosperity in, in just a minute. But Paul's prosperity was not something that we experience. He was provided with various funds and more than what he needed. Um, one mission, uh, one missions director, uh, who uh, in a church that supports 240 missionaries, said, "We live in Disneyland. And if you haven't been out of, outside the United States, even in Chile, they live like kings and queens, even though their their means are about a fourth of what we receive here." But Paul. Learned humility through prosperity. In the second part of the verse, he goes on to amplify the broadness of how he learned this contentment. Um, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, or going going hungry, both having abundance and suffering need. The word meuo um, describes to begin to understand the mysteries or being initiated into these understandings of contentment. So Paul passively is, instead of being, I have learned, I have been taught. It's a perfect passive idea. Now, in, in, if you were here for Sunday school, you saw the structural line diagrams. And the way this uh, sentence is translated in, in English it says, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being 
four things. So you can use in any and every circumstance is describing each one of these four items. First one is uh, the idea of being, um, I, have, I have been taught the secret of being satiated. In verse two, in the second part, I have been, I have in, in every and every, in, in each and every circumstance, I have learned or been taught the secret of being, uh, to be hungry, as we've already read. The third one he identifies is I've learned a secret of being in abundance, and that could be in uh, materiality or in spirituality. Uh, the, this word abundance is used uh, to express uh, an abundance of God's truth, an abundance of God's grace. And if, you know, with our time, we're kind of short, but you can write these verses down and go back and, and read them later. But in Romans fifteen thirteen. And Second uh, Corinthians eight seven and nine eight, you can see how God is able to make the grace all grace abound to you, so that always having a sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance in every good deed. So he's learned abundance. Another one in each and every circumstance, I have been taught the secret of having need. In 1 Corinthians 4, uh, chapter 4 and verse 10, he says, We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. To this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty and poorly clothed, and we are roughly treated and homeless. And we toil, working with our hands, and we are reviled and we bless, and we are persecuted and we endure, and we, have sl- we are slandered and we try to conciliate. And we have become, as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. This is Paul. He didn't care about his life. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish a course in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. So, where, where are you in contentment? Are there things that exist in your life, whether it's your marriage, your husband, your spouse, your children, your family, health or medical issues, your job, or the church, people in the church that you're not content with? God's using those things to humble you. For you to be satisfied and content in each and every circumstance and situation not fun. Can you imagine Paul going through the rivers and, and robberies and in the streets running? We don't experience that, but God is intimately equated with all our ways and He is ordaining all our footsteps and all, the, all our circumstances in our life so that we might be humbled to become a humble servant that might glorify and exalt Him in His life, in our lives. An important aspect a prescription that scripture describes is an attitude of thanksgiving. If you don't have an attitude of thanksgiving, discontentment will start to grow and grow and gnaw at your heart. Thankful in whatever situations. You can come home from a bad day at work and that can just start gnawing away and start gnawing away at relationships in the home. In, in, in verse 4-6, Paul, we read, 
Uh, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. First Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus in everything. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4, and also in chapter 5, verse 20, when, it, when 5.20, when it's talking about being uh, filled with the Spirit, one of the descriptions of the five items to be filled with the Spirit is an attitude of thanksgiving. That's being satisfied with what the Lord has provided. Continuing on, in our, after we've seen joy through God's provision and contentment in God's provision, we can see spiritual strength in the Lord's provision. In verse 13, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Paul recognizes that Christ is a divine enabler. And it's quite easy to understand and simply memorize it. But this is a, a, a present tense indicative mood. Now, I don't know if you guys understand what an indicative mood is, but that's a reality. So these are realities. Paul understands that I can do all things. And it's in an active voice. But there's an di- interesting distinction here between that verb and the verb that he uses to describe Christ who strengthens me. So there's eskuo, eskuo is with Pablo. This is the idea that he recognizes factually that he has the ability to to do something. I can do all things. And it's through Christ who is the divine enabler. I'm, is the, the, the one who is enabling me to do this. And Christ is described with this participle that he's actively and presently enabling the person, Paul to do it. And it's intensified. Um, dunamas, dunam, dunamas, uh, dunamel, dunamai, is, is a verb that, that, that's a verb when you connect a preposition prefixed to the verb, it intensifies the action. So he is empowering pa, pa, Paul, I'm just going to say Pablo. Paul, he's empowering Paul to do all of these things. So, in an application for, for, for all of us, in our lives, in our ministries, in our walk with the Lord, factually, you should know, you need to know, just as Pablo underst- Paul understands, that this is, you can do all things that glorify and exalt your Lord Jesus Christ. And He is the one who is continually capable and able to work in and through you. I've heard all that before, but it's just a little bit more of the grammatical explanation. If you want to, something more as an exclamation point in your Christian life. Um, in, in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, he says, but we have this treasure in earthen, ves- earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power uh, of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. A believer needs to embrace this truth in his own personal life as a reality of Christ's continual enabling as he depends on his Lord to accomplish whatever task he might be confronted with in his life. This is a continual, ongoing enabling as you actively look to do Christ's work and enjoy in his provision and in contentment in his provision you are learning this mystery of contentment 
with our time being, <laughs> we're past our time frame. But I'll read a couple of verses just to close out. Galatians 2.20 I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave me gave himself for me, up for me. And apart from me, you can do nothing. So we need to look to the divine enabler who is able to work in your life. A couple more verses just to wrap up. Colossians 1, 28 and 29. We proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Now pay, pay attention to this. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. In Second Corinthians, uh, I mean, Second uh, Timothy, the end of the epistle, in chapter 4, verse 17, he says, But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the mouth, out of the lion's mouth. The Lord rescue, will rescue me from every evil deed, and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the, the glory forever and ever. Amen. And the same is for all of us. In his divine purposes in each one of our lives and for anybody that might be weary and discouraged and lack the strength Isaiah 40 28 through 31 do you not know have you not heard the everlasting God the Lord creator the creator of the ends of the earth does not become weary or tired his understanding is inscrutable he gives strength to the weary he's the enabler divine enabler and to him who lacks might he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up like wings uh, with, with wings like eagles. Eagles. <laughs> they will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. And Paul said in First Corinthians five or fifteen fifty eight. Therefore, my b- beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. And that word toil is the word kapos, which means to the point of extreme pain or um, uh, exhaustion. So that is, hopefully that will be an encouragement for you that you can find enabling through the divine enabler. And... Uh, in summary, so we can find contentment and joy through his provision, understanding what Paul went through, and through spiritual strength. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the life you've given us through your Son. And we, like, and we thank you for the words of Scripture describing all of what Paul went through that we need to know to live an abundant Christian life, to be content in all of our circumstances, being humble in what you've put before us with the blessings of abundance that you've provided for us or with various needs. We just pray that you would help us rid out any discontentment that might be there or evaluate what is there and how to deal with it. So that my 
walk me not impeded, be impeded, and my life with you and my obedience to you would be firm and walking in the faith so that I might progress in the faith and your gospel would advance. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.